0: You're listening to the Data Point Podcast, brought to you by The Hindu. I'm your host, Sonika Loganathan. Today, we're taking a look at the midday meal scheme. This scheme is considered one of the most successful government initiatives. It was first introduced as a centrally sponsored scheme in 1995, originally offering free food grains and subsidies for transportation of food grains. And then in 2004, this scheme was revised to become the midday meal scheme that we know today. Students in government and government-aided schools are offered one cooked meal. This midday meal scheme, or MDM, promises to offer students not just a hot, cooked, nutritious meal, but also incentivizes these children to come to school in the first place. Consequently, we see higher enrollment, higher concentration levels in class, and an overall improvement in health. Pause. That's what the scheme promises. But midday meal-related food poisoning cases are spiking. In 2022, 997 cases of food poisoning were reported in schools across India. This is the highest it's been in the last six years. Using data from the Integrated Disease Surveillance Program and other news reports, the Hindus data team conservatively estimates that over the past 13 years, at least 9,646 cases of food poisoning were reported in connection to midday meals. I spoke to Deepa Sinha, assistant professor at Dr. B.R. Ambedkar University, who has written extensively on issues related to public policy, health and nutrition. Before we get into the issues with the MDM scheme and the food poisoning cases, it's important to understand the aims and the pros of this scheme. School
1: meal programs contribute to education and health of children in a number of ways. Uh, so, uh, they encourage enrollment, even more so encourage attendance and retention in school, particularly for children belonging to marginalized communities, girl children, and so on. Uh, second is also that uh, although this age group, uh, the school age group is already above six, so much of the malnutrition is difficult to reverse, but it's still a crucial period of growth for children, and it contributes to nutrition Uh, At this stage, if it's done well, if they get a good balanced meal, which many of the children going to government schools are not able to get in their households, this becomes a source of at least one good meal. Even when the quality is not as good as we would like it to be, uh, just in terms of addressing hunger, what has been called classroom hunger, this this scheme again plays a big role because many children continue to come to school on an empty stomach. And we are seeing this again post-COVID being quite prevalent. So this this becomes the first meal that the child is often eating. Um, And it helps them even retain what they're learning in class because if they're hungry, they can't really concentrate. Um, And it it just makes them more satisfied during the period that they are there. And uh, fourthly, it also reduces the burden on the mother who would otherwise have to cook and uh, make a tiffin box if there was food, which Mm -hmm. again, in poor families would take a lot of time. Last, also, there has been a role that, and again, these are issues that keep popping up, but where it has worked, it has worked also, that the whole uh, process of socialization of children of different castes sitting together and eating, children of uh, upper caste eating food cooked by Dalits, so it has quite a um, significant transformational potential in that way also.
0: In 2008, Deepa conducted an audit on this in Andhra Pradesh and found issues with things like quality and hygiene. Keep in mind that the audit that you're talking about that we did was over 10
1: years back, so some things have... Uh, definitely changed, especially if you take a larger macro perspective. Also, the audit we had done was in Andhra Pradesh, which is one of Telangana now uh, partly, uh, which is one of the better uh, implementation states where you see greater improvement over these ten years. So I wouldn't think that those states are exactly where they were then now. Whereas other states, which even started the day meal scheme later, have had uh, greater issues. Um, So there's some issues that still, of course, remain, but uh, I don't want to paint a picture that, you know, that it is a horrible scheme and the things are not working because that is not the case at all. Of course, there are many, many issues uh, to do with the quality of the meal. And like we uh, found in the audit, and even now it remains relevant that uh, these things can be sorted and that uh, it's a very crucial scheme in in the lives of uh, children, and there are places where it works well. So it's, it's not a, you know, you can't generalize it to the entire country.
0: Despite improvements in the implementation of the scheme in several states, data shows that most of the midday meal food poisoning cases were recorded in Karnataka, Odisha, Telangana, Bihar, and Andhra Pradesh. Data on food poisoning cases recorded in 2008 is not available. Measuring the success of this scheme becomes difficult when the Comptroller and Auditor General of India's audits find that the health and safety provisions in place for this scheme are not being followed in several states. Among the provisions are basic requirements like proper cleaning of ingredients and utensils and serving meals hot specifically at 65 degrees Celsius but also things like needing to have a separate kitchen shed and regular inspections by gram panchayats or groups like school management committees. The CAG report particularly brought out issues concerning poor infrastructure, insufficient inspections, irregular licensing, limited reporting to doctors, and the absence of feedback mechanisms. These issues were also seen by Dr. Sylvia Karpagam, a public health doctor and researcher who works on right to health and right to nutrition.
2: Uh, one doesn't have to be a scientist to understand that the meal has to have certain components. It has to be nutritious, it has to be tasty, and of course it has to uh, not be contaminated and uh, it has to be hygienically prepared. And this uh, component of hygiene, I think there is uh, sometimes a very a narrow interpretation of hygiene. The way we see it as uh, public health uh, people is, you know, the, the food has to be safe for consumption and that starts right from the procurement the transport, the storage to actually the preparation and the serving of the meal and from what we have seen uh, when it comes to the midday meal scheme uh, whether it's a centralized kitchens or school based kitchens at multiple points the food has a chance of being contaminated and the contamination can be either biological what we say bacterial or you know, parasites or worms or other kinds of, uh, you know, biological kind of contaminants. We also have the chemical contaminants, which are the pesticides and, um, you know, the chemicals uh, which which can cause some amount of health-related issues. We also have the physical contaminants, like we have stones, hair, grass, mud, um, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of things that can contaminate the
0: food. One of the issues Sylvia found when she went to Karnataka in 2019 was that there were major problems with where the food was prepared.
2: There are two types of kitchens when it comes to the mid meals. We have the centralized kitchens, mainly contracts given to the agents, like contractors or Mm -hmm. NGOs, and the other is the school-based kitchens. When it comes to these centralized kitchens, First of all, if you look at the structure of the MDM, there is supposed to be some amount of oversight. There's supposed to be a state monitoring committee which is supposed to look at the quality of the... Food to see that it is, you know, hygienic at the point of consumption. We also have the school management uh, committees, uh, which are mandated under the Education Act, which have actually the power to monitor the food uh, at all levels um, after it comes to the school. So they are not able to have any oversight of the centralized kitchen. So basically, the oversight of these kitchens is not there. Mm-hmm. And um, in Karnataka, we have had issues. Who is me? With uh, the centralized kitchens in the sense that the food is prepared very early, it's prepared at 4 a.m., um, transported over long distances of 40 kilometers, and when finally reaches the children. I mean, it reaches a school at around 9 a.m., um, and then when it's actually served to the children, it's about 12 p.m. So there's, and this, especially in summer, there have been a lot of complaints that the food is actually smelly and the sambar is spoiled, um, even the milk, which is actually supp- Supposed to be reconstituted at the site, like Mm. just a few minutes before children consume them. You're supposed to reconstituted. It's been done again many hours earlier. Milk has found to be frothy, so all these issues have been raised by the food commission. It's been raised at the district level by the you know CEO at the Zilla Panchayat offices. It's been raised by the midday meal Joint Director. So these concerns have been there, and as far as school kitchens are concerned. There is not even basic storage facilities, like some of the schools that we visited, the walls are moldy, like we've mm-hmm. gone during the rainy season, there's water on the floor, there's seepage um, from the walls. So in fact, in many places, the, the rations are not even visible, they're clearly in you know somebody's houses, we don't know the condition of their houses, So, and we, we didn't see a lot of oversight again by the school management committee. The infrastructure overall is bad, the overall sanitation is bad. In fact, many of the schools didn't have toilets proper toilets and proper water. There was open defecation. Mm -hmm. There was also, you know, children having to go home and, you know, if they needed to use the toilet. Mm -hmm. There was no access to safe drinking water. Uh, In many instances, we saw the water itself was dirty. Sometimes there were many tanks which had not been cleaned for a long period of time and that was what was being used for cooking. So there are multiple ways that the food uh, obviously can get contaminated. Mm -hmm. And what, finally the children were getting i mean the school-based kittens the food was hot so at least the issue of uh, hot food was not there but the, yeah they used to be we used to see you know um stones or hair or you know things which are not supposed to be in the food you, you could see all of that in the food the water was completely um not portable it couldn't be consumed by the children so if I would be surprised actually food poisoning doesn't happen. And it's actually a surprise that it's not happening more often.
0: Still, both Sylvia and Deepa agree that of the two options, meals cooked in centralized kitchens are generally better.
1: Deepa says, In my opinion, uh, the the cooking should happen locally and should be done by the local community. There are certain norms. And right from the beginning, one of the... uh, Uh, sort of objectives of the Midday meal Scheme was also to provide employment to women, single women particularly, and women belonging from marginalized communities. I think that is a good idea and should remain. And uh, really the quality of the meal is not... Uh, You know, often you see uh, even in government documents and many reports that if it is centralized and if it's some NGO doing outside, then it is clean and it's good quality. That's not necessarily true. We've had many reports, common review missions of the ministry itself, which has seen that even centralized NGO cooked or whatever private company cooked food has been of bad quality sometimes because the rotis are made in the middle of the night and then by the time the child is eating it, they're like cold and hard. So there is nothing ex ante that one is better than the other. As far as the quality of the food goes now what you need is uh, not who the cook is as much as does the cook have everything to make sure that they can provide a good quality meal so is there enough budget to get the right sort of ingredients is there a cook is there a kitchen shed in the school or not do they have lpg or not do they have the utensils do they have soap to wash their hands These are the things that we need to be talking about, because there is a lot of strength in having the cooks being local, because there is one uh, you can actually make them accountable. You can see who's cooking. Usually the cooks, when they're local, their children are going to the same school. So they have it. It's in their best interest to cook a uh, decent quality meal.
0: Sylvia also said that having local cooks who know the children attending these schools generally results in better quality food. But what stood out more was the fact that cooks who make the food locally are able to receive and implement feedback far better. For example, the like kid might say, "Today you made bisibalepath,
2: and we really liked it," and or in the, you know the food might get over, mm. so it kind of gives them a very informal way of assessing what the children like. They're Able to use local um, ingredients, like someone might bring vegetables or someone might bring uh, you know green leafy vegetables, and that's added. To the food. Mm-hmm. Um, the food is definitely hot and freshly prepared, and children come back for a second helping. In, in many school-based kitchens, we actually saw the teachers also eating, uh, which is a very good measure of mm-hmm. the you know, quality of the food, because if the food is not good, then the teachers just don't eat it. The children eat
0: because they have to, but the teachers have a choice. The cultural context is especially important when it comes to meal preparation. For starters, Sylvia says that food security... It's
2: not a charity, it's, it is a legal right, you an mm-hmm. entitlement of the kid under the National Food Security Act of 2013.
0: Beyond ensuring increased school attendance and teaching people about nutrition, Sylvia says that these midday meals are a way for students from different backgrounds, castes, communities, and religions to come together and eat together
2: so that deep-rooted practices of untouchability and um, you caste know, g- based segregation, uh, criminalization of foods, all of those issues could be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and even uh, within the act itself, the main uh, way of cooking the food should be school-based and it should be also culturally relevant. It should be what children are used to eating in their homes. Also, there's a mandate to have Dalit cooks again, to break this old caste hierarchy.
0: This cultural relevancy is far easier to maintain when meals are cooked locally as compared to what is made by some NGOs.
2: An organization like Akshyapatra have, mm-hmm. like, they are openly promoting a Sathya diet where they say we don't use onion and garlic, mm-hmm. which again, considerably reduces the taste of the food, making it, you know, much more bland. Uh, this we also got from a lot of school from a lot of teachers, a lot of parents saying the children are used to eating, you know, onion and garlic and that's not being used also the kind of vegetables that have been used are like very few uh, very watery kind of vegetables, very little oil is being used uh, in the cooking and therefore The quantity also is less. The quantity that the children are mandated to eat is a criteria of how many grams of fries and how many grams of pulses and how many grams of vegetables are supposed to be given to the children. Mm -hmm. So they're not eating that much. And even the little that they're eating is completely nutritionally inadequate.
0: The midday meals have succeeded in bringing together children from different backgrounds to a great extent. Deepa and Sylvia say that although when the scheme was first implemented, there were issues like the parents of upper caste children not wanting them to eat food prepared by Dalit cooks, or children from different castes getting different plates, things have since gotten better. However, Sylvia noted that she's seen a major difference in the midday meals served in Urdu schools compared to others. Me definitely a difference in the way
2: the Urdu schools were being treated um, as opposed to the other government schools. Hmm. The infrastructure itself was very poor, The you know, the, the classroom facilities were very poor, they had issues with the budget and also I think culturally uh, for those children, it was, uh, you know, Muslim children, children from Muslim community, uh, it was difficult for them to eat the food in the meals because it was uh, very very different from what they used to eating at home hmm. uh, but there were actually comments uh, saying that we don't get what the children in the other government schools get so it's actually something that the kids also have noticed that they don't get the resources uh, again we, we didn't do a like a comparative study but uh, you know it's an anecdotal thing but definitely it came across Uh, But I think overall, there's a kind of a systemic discrimination of uh, children in government schools because uh, more than 97% of these children, um, at least, you know, in Karnataka, they come from Dalit, Adivasi, OBC backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And they're some of the poorest children uh, because uh, I think there is a culture also of, you know, if you can afford it, if you have access, then you would send your children a private school, which is you know, which is a different problem by itself. But
1: mm-hmm. those
2: who actually cannot afford um, to pay for private schools who go to government schools, and even after the COVID um, pandemic and lockdown, what we saw is that more children actually came into the government schools because uh, people had lost their jobs and livelihoods, and the socio-economic status had dropped because of which they shifted children from private to public schools. Mm-hmm. So. Most of the children they haven't had a meal at home, they come hungry to the school. So the, this meal actually is very important for the children. but there is um, you know there's a systemic kind of negligence of the entire public education but also specifically of the midday meal. Mm. Uh, so you can see you know that lack of care, the lack of concern, the lack of will at all levels. So, you know, it's whether it's releasing the budgets or whether it's planning salaries, whether it's oversight, whether it's asking the parents um, and children for uh,
1: their opinion of how the you know, system should be.
2: Mm-hmm. Also, the, 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 there's actually there's very little grievance-redressal mechanisms in place. Right. Um, if somebody has a problem, then it's only media which is a regulator in most instances. If media picks it up and, you know, highlights something, then some, some of these things uh, come out. But yeah, I mean, of course, there are other systems in place. Like in Karnataka, the State Food Commission is actually pretty active. Uh, they have been constantly raising a lot of issues.
0: With all these points in mind, it becomes evident that there is an undeniable need for better feedback mechanisms on all levels, not just the taste or the quality of the food. For example, one of the issues found in the CAG's audit in Madhya Pradesh in 2019 was that the Food Safety and Standards Authority of India did not notify doctors to report food poisoning cases. The Food Safety Commissioner did not have information relating to food poisoning cases that happened between 2014 to 2019, and one of the missed instances exposed by the CAG involved 110 food poisoning cases that happened in 2014 in Hoshangabad district. Because this was not recorded, no action was taken against the food business operators responsible for preparing the meal. The guidelines on food safety and hygiene for school-level kitchens under the Midday Meal Scheme, as issued by the Government of India's Ministry of Human Resource Development, Department of School Education and Literacy, MDM Division, lists out 18 different sections of guidelines Under the broad categories of food safety and hygiene, hand washing for children, and infrastructural requirements for food safety and hygiene of kitchen come store. But when these guidelines are evidently not being followed, I asked Deepa if having these requirements is even realistic or if something needs to change in the policy.
1: So the policies are all in place. Uh, There are school management committees who are supposed to, uh, this is one of the things that they're supposed to look at. Um, There is even in terms of the, there is a policy that schools should have kitchen sheds, uh, that uh, utensils the central government doesn't pay for. That's one big issue. Uh, But so these things, again, uh, they work some places, they don't work some places, like in many of the programs that governments implement in our country. And whether the accountability are functional or not depends a lot on uh, the local politics and what is going on and also how much government is insisting. So for instance, it was also recently pointed out that uh, social audits as mandated under the Food Security Act have not really taken place in many parts of the country. And uh, so states were pulled up saying you have to do this. So we have the provisions on paper, but they're not being done. And uh, partly it's because again, because of budget uh, shortfalls as well because even a social audit requires a budget you require people to do it you require somebody to coordinate it and so on sometimes that is not there uh, in place Uh, so but uh, what we need to do I think now we know quite well the mechanisms are also there on paper you have the school management committees you have the social audits You have uh, states also have, you know, various kind of grievance redress mechanisms. It could be through an IBRS uh, phone line, online calling, whatever, Uh, transparency provisions, like putting the menu on the board, um, letting children know what they're supposed to get. All of this would, if they work, would help. In places where they work, it does help. What is required is really the political will and the push that this is an important scheme and these things have to happen. Like in Tamil Nadu, it is an important scheme. They have a separate cadre of people who are like managers of the midday meal. And that really helps. So it's burden is not on the teacher or the headmaster for a set number of schools. They have this, I think they call them midday meal manager or coordinator or something like that, who organizes the ingredients, the storage and goes around checking if the food is of okay quality. And if there is some infrastructure issue, kind of
0: tries to resolve them. So it would help to have a noon meal organizer, I think they call it. Sylvia adds that socioeconomic divides also play a big role in how this scheme is implemented. Power
2: and caste and religion and gender operate to decide, you know, how this issue is approached rather than the actual, you know, objective kind of oversight. Mm. Say, for example, if a Dalit mother says that, you know, the food is really bad, you know, I think we should complain. There's there's going to be a whole system that's going to operate to, you know, clamp down on her um, ability to, you know, actually criticize the... Um, email. Right. Um, so I think that uh, is not being addressed at all. So there's a paper aspect of it and the practice aspect of it, and they are actually quite different uh, from each other. And this uh, this whole caste uh, thing operates at multiple levels. Uh, so, for example, in some of the schools that we visited, there's one or two teachers uh, who you know who actually lobbying for the NGOs. So they've been taken to some of these kitchens, I don't know what they've been told. So every time, you know, you, we try to ask questions, we ask the other teachers, or we ask the principal, or we ask the children. There's this one teacher who's like very aggressive, who's saying, no, everything is fine. No, the children don't need, need eggs in the school. No, we should respect the vegetarians. You know, there's mm. this clearly that dynamic that is operating. Uh, it's also at the district level, so even if the district authorities are trying to improve the quality of the meal. and there is, you know, lobbying that is happening at that level. Um, there's someone who's you know threatening them uh, in terms of their job or something. There there, there is a uh, there are lots of informal checks and balances which operate, and we've seen that even at the state level. Uh, where the principal secretary, the chief secretary, the you know the ministers, uh, the things that they influence them goes beyond policy. Mm-hmm. It, it you know casts collusions or um, religious collusions. Like for example in Karnataka, when the government wanted was thinking about giving eggs, there was mm-hmm. you know huge lobby uh, which came forward and religious you know lingat, uh, religious leaders who came forward and said no, you cannot give eggs. Um, otherwise, you know, we'll withdraw school,
0: children from these schools. So, so those things operate. To address these issues, Deepa says a decentralized feedback mechanism would probably be the most effective.
1: The feedback mechanism that's most effective is one which is decentralized and involves the parents and children who are getting the meal. So even something like food poisoning, that should be the first step, that you are taking feedback from the beneficiaries and for that, there are mechanisms in place. But like we were discussing, many of them are not working. Like the school management committee must have on agenda the midday meal and discuss uh, what happened that month, if there were any untoward incidents, if there's any feedback and then t- record it, then that would go back up to the Gram chat and then go up. So there has to be a decentralized feedback mechanism because that would be the best where you immediately mm-hmm. get to know. What happens often is that when something happens, people don't know who to report to. And then people also stop reporting when they find that their reporting does not make any difference. So in uh, in other schemes also we have seen that when you have a grievance-redress system, so you might have a phone line, you might have a website, you might have various mechanisms. But when people complain, if there is no response, then that discourages people from complaining also so that is where we need some tightening to happen simple things like having guidelines would say that if if somebody complains then within a week someone will visit the school or maybe within 48 hours depending on the uh, nature of the complaint and that within 15 days there'll be a report and some action will be taken we need those kind of guidelines which are not uh, there everywhere currently
0: it's important to note two points one that the midday meal scheme is seen as a success and two Both experts agree that the meals offered are not nutritious, or at least not nutritious enough. The mini-meal is uh, completely nutritionally
2: inadequate, Mm. and um, it's uh, it's not enough to meet the nutritional requirements of the children. And we are seeing a lot of uh, malnutrition across the country. We're seeing isolated nutritional deficiencies also whether it's so vitamin A or uh, iron deficiencies or zinc or D12. Post-COVID and post-lockdown, this definitely we yeah, are expecting this to have aggravated. Um, In many areas uh, midday male schemes have shut down. They've not recovered fully. And so it's, it's like we're sitting literally on a huge uh, crisis so I think it's it's important to you know bring back the gaze on food, especially, you know, in, the, in these schemes, like the Midday Meal Scheme or the ICTS or the public distribution system, as rights um, rather than as a charity. Denial of these things, you know, it amounts to, you know, discrimination of these children who are actually, you know, very vulnerable. So I don't think, you know, either civil society or the, you know, so-called policymakers, they're able to acknowledge the seriousness
0: of it. But just the fact that these children are getting at least one guaranteed meal a day makes a huge difference in their lives.
2: Yeah, I think that the, from the schools that we visited, uh, we actually went with some students and we, they also noticed very strikingly that whatever it is, the children eat it. Whatever it is, the parents say, at least the child is getting a meal. Uh, you know, it's that tire mm. so if, if you look at it from that point of view then it, it does make a huge difference uh, children are still eating it but if you look at it as like you know public health Point of view, or you know, nutrition, or even a medical point of view, it's completely inadequate, and a lot, lot more uh, should be done about it. Mm -hmm. So the midday meal itself, yes, I think a lot of children actually come to school, uh, you know, to have that meal. Uh, In fact, on the days when eggs are given, the attendance is much higher in the schools. Mm -hmm. Parents also happy that you know the child is at least getting one meal, guaranteed meal. So yes, the meal, I think, is hugely
0: important. That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back soon to break down the next big data story. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for The Data Point by The Hindu. Thanks for listening.